I like your scrunchie. Thank you. I got this one in Queensland. There's nothing about it that says Queensland to me. Okay. It was a cute little shop. It is a cute little scrunchie. Thank you. For a cute little Ruth. I like how you just did a completely non-verbal Ooh, thing. Oh, this, this won't make it on. Oh, you never know. You never know. Might make it on. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Josephine. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Pretty well. Yeah? Yeah. You're all done with the HSC for the year. That's right. Well, sort of. (laughs) Well, the performances are done. It's like a perpetual sort of like limbo state where I'm constantly doing the HSC. Yeah. Like I just finished year 12 or about to finish year 12 and then I'm going to start teaching year 12 content next term. To the year 11s. To the year 11s. Yeah. Um, Did everyone go well? I think so. Yeah. I was really happy. Yeah, that's good. I felt very proud. That's good. I know. Yeah. What about your week? What's been happening? Not a whole lot, honestly. Good. Um, six are going to be doing socially distanced performances in London. Oh, but haven't they been talking about that for ages? No, they were going to do a drive-in show. That's right. Um, which got cancelled uh, because it was just going. It was sort of too hard um, to get the insurances and stuff. Yeah. And then. This is like in a West End. So their normal theatre in, in London Western is. Western town. Sorry. <laughs> their normal theatre in London is like a 350 seat theatre. Oh. And, and they will be going into like a 1300 seat theatre or whatever, but only selling, you know, 500, I don't know, something like that seats. I wonder what impact that would have on the performance. Going from such an intimate theatre to mm. such a big. Yeah, honestly, I think it'll be fine because that show I feel like is so adaptable. I, mm. I honestly only think it's going to work for that show. Like, because they will have it's to change. It's more like a concert anyway. That's right. They will have to change very little for the performers to be socially distanced. Yeah. You know, there's all that stuff. So I think, yeah, I'm um, I'm excited for it. It starts in November. So, yeah, I've got a show starting. That's exciting. Yeah. Because, I mean, Broadway's still not oh, till yeah. 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, even like this will just be like this socially distanced whatever. I mean, that's not sustainable for the long term. But No. Yeah. What is the long term anyway? Yeah, that's true too. What is it? What is time? (laughs) Hey, did you – oh, hello everyone. Welcome to My Favourite Musical. The podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's Ruth. That's Josephine. Yeah, and we are your hosts today. Buckle in. Not just today but for all episodes. Oh, yeah, for all time. Yeah, Mm. for all time. Well, you never know. Uh, yes, today, this is episode 23. Yes. Which is exciting. I put that at the top of my little piece of paper. Did you? Did. I love it. I am because now, now I have so many, um, like pieces of research saved on my computer. I actually have to categorize them in some way. Yeah. So I'm having to number my documents. Yes. I've been numbering mine from episode one. Right. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Because that is who I am as a person. (laughs) That is who you are as a person. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so Ruth, have you got any apologies? I do. Oh, really? I do. I have a little one. Okay. So, um, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Natalie Weiss. Yeah. Um, and, and her, her YouTube. vocal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was saying, oh, like, so she used to do these breaking down the riffs videos and she hasn't done them in ages. And it's true that she hasn't done them in ages on YouTube. Apparently she's like a massive TikTok star now. Oh, really? Yeah. And so she does we're not, them. I know. Old, this is, we're like, too old. Guys. The problem is we're too old. We can't have everything. I'm still navigating Instagram. This is the thing. I follow her on Instagram, right? Like, so I do follow her on Instagram and she does 
sometimes repost some of her TikTok content on Instagram. Oh, right, yeah. So I've seen a bit there, but she apparently does a lot of these breaking down the riffs videos on TikTok. Right. And so So yeah. TikTok is like a video platform. Yeah. You knew that. <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, you're so old. I don't know uh, anything. <laughs> um, but so I think the, one of the things that people do a lot on TikTok, again, I'm going to sound so old, um, is that <laughs> you like duet with someone. So she will oh. teach them how to do the riff and then it's like you can record yourself doing the riff kind of thing like as she's teaching you. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So oh, they're well, much and shorter. Like you repost it yeah, as exactly. if you were there. Oh. And so they're much shorter videos than she – like her ones on YouTube are like, 10 minutes or whatever, but these are like one minute videos where, Mm. and then she just sort of very quickly teaches you the riff. I could not learn anything in a minute. I reckon you could, apparently that's the thing, like the way she teaches it is so simple. I think, I think we should do it. That's good content. (laughs) We'll make you do one. have to like download TikTok. No, no, we'll figure it out somewhere else. I love your confidence. Yeah. I just don't, I already don't want to do it. So apologies to Natalie Weiss fans uber fans i now know that she is still very much doing breaking down the riffs on tiktok well that was a very important apology and very yeah. embarrassing for you i'm sorry i have an apology um apparently i don't know how to pronounce uh the name mindy dickstein because <laughs> i years ago in our little women episode oh, it's spoiler alert it's because she comes up in my episode this all right week. Yeah, that's so why I, I wanted to know I thought ruth was like doing a really targeted like insult towards me no. she's like how did you pronounce this and I, I pronounced it Mindy Dick Stein because I like the, I don't know. It's a great, I like Stein names actually. Stein, yeah. Yeah. So it's Dick Stein. It's Dick Stein. That's a little Easter egg for later in this episode. You do know that the title of the musical is on, like when they click on the episode, they know the title of the musical. She has nothing to do with the musical I'm talking about. Oh. But there's, yeah, there's a related fact to do with it. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sure Mindy Dick Stein fans out there are excited <laughs> right now. Ooh, what could it be? All right. Um, Ruth, have you got a spotlight for us? I do. Mine's Australian this week, which I feel like we don't get to do that often. No. Um, Mine is the Artists of Colour Initiative, um, which I will link to their website. Um, So basically this came about – so there's a a competition in Australia called the Rob Guest Endowment. Yes. And it was – Rob Guest was a very famous Australian musical theatre performer. Yeah. I think performed Phantom more than like – anyone else yeah he uh, was that... also was he our original oh no he wasn't our original Jean Valjean but he was our original Enjolras oh I think you might be right he God, was I'm, yeah yeah but very like famous musical theater format and yeah. he was actually playing the wizard in Wicked in yes. the original Australian production of Wicked when he sat he like quite suddenly passed away yeah and he was quite young yeah and um it was a big shock to the Australian musical theatre community and I want to say that was maybe 2009 or 2008 even, yeah like maybe even earlier it was definitely while I was at uni was so it, it was yeah probably 2008 and so they um they set up this endowment um to like encourage young musical theatre performers which has been a great program like I was part of it yeah yeah and and um and they announced but what sort of happened in the last few months is that they announced the finalists the th- they they get 30 finalists like semi-finalists and then they narrow it down to six and those six kind of compete and you get money and you get mm. various things and um when they announced the 30 finalists this year they post know, all the headshots ago, right that's right they yeah. post all as one picture and it was basically this year it was a big issue because 
basically all 30 presented as white. Yeah. Um, whether or not they necessarily all identified as white or not, yeah. I, I'm not sure. But at a glance, it was at a glance, it very was white. it was very white the picture, and it caused a big backlash in the Australian theatre community. Good, um, yeah, exactly right. As fantastic, it yeah. Um, and various th- things have been happening with it. They actually just recently announced that they are going to commit to a certain percentage of the leadership team and the panel that'll be deciding them will be um, BIPOC people. Great. Um, same with. Um, the actual entrance, you know, they'll commit to a certain amount. So mm. that's good. That's the step in the right direction, right? Um, but what kind of was, I actually think, a really great thing that came out of it was that it really did mobilise the Australian theatre community to also think of other ways that they can support the BIPOC community in Australia. Mm. Um, and when we say um, uh, the black part of black in black indigenous people of color in mm. Australia, we're referring to both black B-L-A-C-K and black B-L-A-K, yes. which is often how like the Aboriginal community like sort of self-identify. That's like a term yeah. that gets used a lot. So when we say black, we're, we're talking about both of those um, sort of meanings. So artists of color initiative was one of the things that sprung up, like literally in the, um, that's great in the aftermath of this. And basically it's a, it's a scholarship competition, competition designed to provide financial assistance and industry support to six exceptionally talented um, Australian theatre performers, you know, who are based here and identify as BIPOC. Um, And the initiative was born from a recognition of the underrepresentation of um, BIPOC people in the Australian theatre industry. And the aim is to ensure participation within the field of musical theatre amongst these marginalised communities. Fantastic. So they they started a GoFundMe, um, which – at last check has raised over twelve and a half thousand dollars. Um and basically the money in that GoFundMe will go towards the finalists of the competition, like to those six finalists. Um and yeah, it'll just basically like help them. So there's like a process of like submitting videos and then like um having it whittled down and the actual like uh, panel that will be deciding are all um, BIPOC Australians mm. in, in like leading in the industry kind of thing. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's really great. I think the entrance will have closed by the time this episode comes out, okay. but I'm really keen to see. Yeah. Like, you what know? comes of it? Yeah, exactly. That's and there's fantastic. a few other initiatives like that that have been started up as well. Good. Yeah. Oh, that's great yeah. news. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. So my spotlight this week. Yeah. I spent a little bit of time actually diving into the work and sort of events of Black Theatre United. Yeah. So I know we've spoken about them here and I just wanted to, I've just been sort of keeping a little steady tab on what they've been doing yeah. and their events and stuff. And I watched a really incredible event titled um, Activating Black Artists and Allies for Racial Justice. Yeah. I was drawn to it because it was moderated by Audra McDonald, who I love. Of course. And she's so articulate. And also because the guest speaker was Sherilyn Ifill, who is the current president of the NAACP um, Legal Defence Fund. Yeah. And for those who don't know, this is basically the symbiosis of our two passions – um, theatre and true crime, really. Yes, yeah. Um, because the NAACP, it stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People. It's a US-based organisation, but the Legal Defence Fund arm is the, like, it's the leading civil rights organisation mm. and, like, law firm in the States. Wow. Um, they're responsible, oh, I think, gosh, I hope I'm not incorrect in this, but I think their sort of most well-known case is Brown 
versus the Board of Education, mm. which is basically um, the decision that segregation in schools is yeah. unconstitutional. unconstitutional. Yeah, yeah, so I think that was in 1950s. I'm going to say. Maybe even 60s, I think. I'm going to say 1955 or 54. Okay. Yeah. That's a hopeful. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was the 50s. Yeah, I'll look it up. Anyway, yeah, I think 54. Um, yeah, anyway, this symposium was really fascinating because these two really incredible women discussed the impact of theatre on racial 54, equality. good remembering. Ah, very good remembering. So they have this great discussion about the role of theatre in sort of in racial equality and race mm. relations. Um, interestingly, Sherilyn, I feel, mentions that her very first um, experience of theatre was seeing Guys and Dolls on Broadway in 1976, which is an all-black revival, um, which ties in really nicely with my musical today. Anyway, the live stream is quite long, um, but I think it's worth it. I had to listen to it and I was really inspired because they're just really women at the top of their respective games um, just doing great, great Is it just the two of them? Yeah, just the two of them and an interpreter. Um, If you are hearing impaired, uh, it's definitely worth your time. So I've linked to that. But, yeah, if you're interested in the NAACP or Black Theatre United, then, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Um, what is our Theatre Explained? Ruth, this week? our Theatre Explained is what is the difference between a workshop and a rehearsal? Yeah. Tell us. I've sort of chucked in reading as well. Oh, yeah, plus a reading. Because, like, a reading is kind of a type of workshop. Yeah. But I think people think of them, like, as separate things, you yes. know. So sort of in simple terms, a rehearsal is a preparation for a live performance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas like a, a workshop and a, and a read, so a reading is a, is a stage reading normally with the cast, like with scripts in hand, yes. right? Um, sitting around a table, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's often like in the forms of a workshop kind of comes in a step before you would like do a get full workshop and, and get up and move around. Yes. Whereas a workshop is like, it is staged, but it wouldn't have all aspects of production. Like probably not costumes, no. probably not a set, things like that. And it's my understanding that the main purpose of a reading is really for the creative team to sort of hear their work yeah. for the first time. Yeah. Perhaps or for yeah. hear that cast for the first time doing the work, so yeah. it's almost to like iron out kinks before they get up and move around. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's also that thing of like we've talked about in quite a few episodes where there's like the workshop contract and like the 29 hour read. Like there's there's all these different equity contracts that the wording is sort of important for. Yes, you know, so like um, a lab was like the thing that became like kind of replaced the workshop. Yeah. But really is the step after a reading. That's right. Yeah. It's a similar thing. Yeah. I also liked that, um, like when I was sort of reading about this is that, uh, like the term rehearsal is a performing arts term. Yes. But we also use it in lots of other areas of life. We do. We so do. like, for example, it's often used in terms of like weddings, obviously, like yeah. you have a, um, a rehearsal as part of the wedding. Then you've got uh, like paramedics when they're practicing like a simulated emergency will use the word rehearsal or troops practicing for like a, huh. you know, a mock attack or whatever. Wow, I didn't yeah. I didn't know it was so widely used. I know. And I was just like, oh, that's really interesting because it's, it's, it is the same concept, but it's like a, a term taken from that. Yeah. Like our performing arts. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think too, like, a workshop there's it's still like the piece is in development like there's still there's a sense that with a workshop there's still a bit of um 
of creative movement with the piece. Yeah. But usually a rehearsal is like this is we are just now running over and like revising yeah. a work. Yeah. But there's a sense of sort of creation in a workshop. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, all important steps. This has been Theatre Explained <laughs> with Ruth and Josephine. You got any content recommendations for us? Okay. Sort of, not really. Okay. It's been a while since we've discussed like the ongoing theatre closures around the world. Yeah. And I thought now would actually be a really great time just to support art and artists in any way you can. Yeah. So while, yes, you may um, own a subscription to Stan or Netflix or something or maybe you like you pay for Spotify Premium, it would be great if maybe this week you could find another way to support artists I don't have too many recommendations on how to do that like I think apart from maybe going to find some more live streams like ticketed live streams of concerts or things like that but I think we've sort of now forgotten about theater closures and I think now more than ever theater needs your support I heard I've read about how a lot of the like a lot of young performers are doing like twitch streams and stuff that's great yeah, yeah. which often would just be them playing video games but like if you love yeah if you love a you performer know, Jordan or, Fisher or yeah. like you know the other you know other like dear Evan Hansen age performers yeah, yeah. then um, yeah I thought yeah. that was a really interesting thing well uh, I mean cameo yeah. by, by pay for them to say that's hello the thing, to you. like just go and support on a on a small scale, I think yeah. is what I'm after. Yeah, like, let's do more of that. Yeah, exactly. Your Disney Plus subscription is probably not really helping any artists no, much. Sorry, no, for sure, so, yeah. for sure. That's all I've got. What about you? Um, yeah, I've got a couple. The first is a Spotify playlist. Nice. And it's um my friend Jennifer, Jennifer Ashley Tepper, who I've talked about before, who's the director of programming at Fifty Four Below. Yes, and she also writes the um uh. Broadway untold stories of Broadway books. Yes. Um, she created this Spotify playlist a couple of weeks ago called Unbreakable Heroine Declaration Songs. Oh my gosh. And it's it's quite a long playlist. Like it's um like a couple of hundred songs. And it's awesome. because she has such like you think we're nerds. I mean, like you have no idea. Yeah. Like yeah. she is like next level, it's right? Like She's, knowledge. She is a proper theater historian. Like yeah. that is her job, yeah. right? And um, so yeah, there's just some really great deep cuts, and I've just been listening to it on like shuffle a lot, and it's really fantastic. So I've linked to that. Um, you know, just that like that moment in the show where the 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 female character is just like, I'm gonna fucking do it. Right, Love like it. that's kind of the the idea. Um, my other recommendation is actually I was reminded of a. I guess it's technically a podcast. They weren't recorded as such, but the American Theatre Wing, um, you know, which is the the big sort of body in the in the United States, um, used to do this series called Working in the Theatre. Yeah, and it was like round. That's table, a really good yeah, series. Yeah, it's like um roundtable discussions, and they don't they haven't done them in years. Yeah, but all of them are available as video podcasts um through like Apple mm. or whatever um wherever you get your podcast, <laughs> and they're kind of like you know like the Hollywood Reporter roundtables. Yes. They're kind of like that. So you know it'd be like one might have a theme, like one might be about like performing in small spaces, or it might be about like directing, you know, revivals or whatever. Like Mm. they'll have a theme. But then often they're just about like they call them on performance or whatever and it's about a specific show. Mm. So it'll be – and like the one that always sticks in my mind and I watched this years ago but it has always stuck in my mind. It was um, 
about The Lion King. And it was filmed in 1998 when The Lion King had just opened on Broadway. Yeah. And their advertising guy is essentially saying, like, you know, we think we're planning for it to run for 20 years. And they all, everyone laughs at him. Hmm. Literally there is laughter. I rewatched it just like in preparation oh for this. Oh, my God. And there is laughter. Now, that was 22 years ago. Yeah, shit. And it's just like, like, so there's some real gems like that. Imagine being such a visionary that you would know right? that. I think they just... I think they just realised what a smash they had on their hand. Yeah. You know? Jeez. Um, so, yeah, so there hasn't been a new episode since 2013, unfortunately, but the whole back catalogue is there and I'm talking like hundreds of videos and they're all really fantastic and some really great insights that like we just don't really get to see yeah. now in yeah. any way. So I've linked to those as That's well. That's cool. Yeah. Nice, Ruby. Yeah. Thanks, love. Um, You're first. I'm first. Yeah. Okay, I would like to talk to you about Guys and Dolls. Oh, and what a special show in our history. Right? Yeah. So I was thinking just about how much I love this show and where it started. And, of course, it started with actually doing the show when yeah. we were kids. Like I, I think I was, I was 14. Yeah, um, so what, I would have been 16. Yeah, so it just was such a lovely time in my life and I, you know, met so many wonderful lifelong friends, like people who I am yeah. now still very friendly with. My husband with. was also in that production. Yes, your husband was there. Yeah, so just beautiful memories but also it's a genuinely really great show. Yeah. Like it is, I think of the golden age sort of era musicals. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the most, um, I would say, like interesting. Yeah. And I would say widely accessible yeah probably so yeah guys and dolls some plot for you where in new york it's the depression the city is bustling and it's delightful it's got cute little mobsters and gamblers all around it's it's a very glossy colorful new york city um, the main players are Sergeant Sarah Brown. She's a Salvation Army nerd who wants to save souls in this evil... That's who you played. That's who I played. Um, she is particularly worried about gamblers and drinkers. Then there is Nathan Detroit. He's like a small-time con who runs the largest illegal floating crap game in New York. Yeah. Um, due to police crackdowns at the time, Nathan is struggling to find a venue for his upcoming game. Um, but... Luckily, the Biltmore Garage is available for the price of $1,000. Nathan doesn't have $1,000. <laughs> so he decides to create an impossible bet with Sky Masterton, who is a womanizer and a gambler who will just basically bet on everything. Masterton or Masterton? Masterton. Oh, is it? Isn't it? I always thought it was Masterson. Oh, maybe I've just done a... No, <laughs> you you're right. a typo. I think I just did it. This is Masterson. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Masterson. It's okay. It's like I've never done this show before. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Nathan bets $1,000 with Skye that Skye won't be able to take Sarah Brown to dinner in Havana. Meanwhile, Nathan's long-suffering fiancé of 14 years, her name's Miss Adelaide, is a singer with a perpetual cold as a result of Nathan continually postponing their wedding. <laughs> uh, Skye makes a deal that in exchange for her going to dinner in Havana, he will provide Sarah Brown and her struggling mission with one dozen genuine sinners. And that must have been a typo because right here on my sheet says singers and I know it's not singers. <laughs> what was I doing when I was typing You were up? drunk. I was drunk. Yeah. I actually wasn't. <laughs> um, so anyway, of course, Sky and Sarah fall in love. They're very unlikely. Um, thanks in part to Bacardi. That plays a role. Um, Nathan manages to run his crap game at the mission. Sky comes through with the genuine sinners and everyone ends up happily married and on legitimate business paths. The yeah. End. 
<laughs> That's a very abrupt. Uh, no mention of General Cartwright. So Ruth played the character <laughs> of General Cartwright, an incredibly minor role. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, she's right. <laughs> but you played her so beautifully that I think we added a lot more to her it's role. true. Because of your outstanding acting. Um, but, yes, there is a character whose name is General Cartwright. That's the end of that explanation. Yeah. I was in the mission. <laughs> you were in the mission. Yeah. So some background to the musical. It's a book musical. It's based on the short story The Idol of Miss Sarah Brown by Damon Runyon, which was published in 1933. Side note, Damon Runyon is such a great name. Such a good name, yeah. right? Doesn't sound like a name that belonged in the 30s. No. Damon Runyon. Runyon. <laughs> Did oh. you know, you probably already knew this, but the opening number of Guys and Dolls is called Runyon Land. Yes, I had like heard in, that. Yeah. You know, in homage to the yeah, original that's author. Fantastic. Um, so Damon Runyon actually wrote some really cool, like quirky short stories. They're yeah. actually really good. You can find them easily online. Yeah. Like they're, yeah, they're really readable. Anyway, music and lyrics are by Frank Lesser with book by Joe Swirling and Abe Burroughs. Um, in fact, the first version of the book was written just by Joe Swirling, um, but it was deemed completely unusable. So Abe Burroughs was brought in. He had all, he also would go on to work with Lesser on how to succeed in business without yeah. really trying. So a really good pairing. Yeah. But um, interestingly, because Frank Lesser had already written the songs to correspond with the original book, Burroughs had to work like in reverse and fit his book around the existing songs. Uh which is not normally how yeah. book musicals are written. And um, because Burroughs was brought in later, he had quite a few things to work around. Like, for example, Sam Levine, who was a comedic actor at the time, had already been cast as Nathan Detroit. And so, like, this was before the book had been written. Abe Burroughs later actually said in his autobiography that it was it was actually really great that this had happened because he could write for a very specific yeah. voice. Like he knew the way that Sam Levine spoke and, and like could write the part for yeah. him. Also um, Adelaide had already been cast, like Vivian Blaine had already been cast as Adelaide. Yeah. So he also wrote specifically for her. Um, but interestingly, Sam Levine, so the original Nathan Detroit couldn't sing. Like he wasn't a singer. Yeah, right. So Nathan actually only sings one duet, which is Sue Me. Yeah. Um, which is really actually spoken by Sam Levine. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay, so productions. The show, like most other big shows at the time, had uh, its pre-Broadway tryout at the Schubert Theatre in Philly. It opened in 1950. It then wow. went to – I know, so old, I right? know. It then went to the 46th Street Theatre, which is now Richard Rogers Theatre, which is where Hamilton lives. Indeed. Yeah. Um, it was directed by George S. Kaufman and it was choreographed by Michael Kidd. Both of these men were actually heavily involved in comedy at the time. So okay. Yeah, like Kaufman had worked with the Marx Brothers and he'd written like a number of pieces for them and Michael Kidd had done a bit of work with Charlie Chaplin and was highly influenced by Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Which sort of accounts for this being a really classic musical comedy. Yeah. Like this is a proper musical comedy, guys yeah. and girls. Um, the original Broadway cast included Robert Alder as Skye and Isabel Bigley as Sarah, who I don't, I don't know either of them no. at all. Um, well, I guess that's back in the day when like a lot of Broadway stars, like if they didn't cross over to screen. Yeah, you, they we would just stay there. You wouldn't know. know. That's no. exactly right. Um, and then obviously, yeah, Sam Levine and Vivian Blaine 
as Nathan and Adelaide respectively, this production ran for 1,200 performances. Which would have been huge at the time, right? It was huge yeah. at the time. So this is 1950. That was an incredibly successful yeah. run, like just pretty much unheard of at yeah. the time. Um, Laurence Olivier actually famously said that Sam's Le- Sam Levine's performance as Nathan Detroit was the greatest stage performance he had ever seen. Wow. Which is just interesting to think of an actor so well regarded in sort of, in inverted commas, serious acting mm. circles would think a musical comedy had, yeah. you know, contained the best performance ever. Yeah. Uh, 1951, sorry, was the fifth Tony Awards and Guys and Dolls won five Tonys including Best Musical, Best Actress for Isabel Bigley who played Sarah, Best Actor for Older who played Sky, Best Direction for Kaufman and Best Choreography for Kid. Wow. So it did really well but not, neither Nathan Detroit nor Adelaide won any awards for their oh. – yeah, I know, which is interesting – Okay. They're the showier roles. They are the showier roles, yeah. yeah. Um, this show is so produced. Like it is just yeah. regularly, regularly yeah. produced in a way that I don't think any of the others we've really done are. Oh, like, really? I think it's one of the more produced shows. Like even than like A Sound of Music or? Well, The Sound of Music is rarely put on. Oh, like professionally? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, rarely. But this one has had so many iterations. Gypsy has. Gypsy, yes. Yeah. Actually, I would like to. I'd like to know how they compare. But anyway, it's regularly produced for a good reason. I think it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so it opened on the West End in 1953 with Vivian Blaine and Sam Levine reprising their roles. Actually, they would both go on to do their roles like over and over. Would they? Yeah. yeah. It's like what they're known for. Um, that production on the West End ran for 555 performances. So interestingly, mm. really did translate in London. Yeah. Like, which I almost wouldn't have expected in the 50s, but I don't know. What do I know about London in the 50s? <laughs> Nothing is the answer. Um, in 1955, the film was released. Yeah. Have you ever seen the film? Yes. But you have. like back when we did it. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you're not a movie musical no, person. No, only because we were doing it. Interesting. Yeah. So I love the film. Yeah. I love it. It's one of, it's not my favorite movie musical, obviously, but it's one of my yeah. favorites. So good. Um, Vivian Blaine was the only one to reprise her role as Adelaide. So she was in the film. Yeah. The film was produced by Samuel Goldwyn Productions. Well, yeah. And it was distributed by MGM. So originally Gene Kelly was sort of earmarked for the role of Sky. Yeah. But I think I knew this. Go on. Yeah. Well, but MGM, like he was contracted to MGM at the time and they didn't want to release him to mm. Samuel Goldwyn Productions. So he didn't, like they didn't allow it to happen. Um so Marlon Brando was cast as Sky. Yeah. Which is such an interesting choice. But at the time, Marlon Brando was like the biggest box office yeah. star, like of all time. So, I mean, sure. Frank Sinatra was cast as Nathan Detroit, even though he really wanted to play the role of Sky. I've heard that before. But apparently he was like like full of hatred about yes. it. Like he would yeah. say just awful things. I feel on like set. that's like a famous Hollywood like Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it's fair though because Brando, Marlon Brando can't sing and yeah. the role of Sky is the singing role. Nathan Detroit is not supposed to yeah. be a singer and you would cast Frank Sinatra as Nathan Detroit. Yeah. It's also like Nathan Detroit is very much the comedic role. Yeah. And Frank Sinatra doesn't necessarily strike me as a particularly comedic actor. Yeah. Anyway, what do I know? <laughs> Interestingly, um, Marilyn Monroe wanted the role of Adelaide. Oh. She had like rung the producers and like begged for it but they just – they refused. They're yeah. like, no, thank you. They um, 
yeah, I think they sort of decided pretty quickly. I think it was maybe it was like maybe Greta Garbo or something that they wanted, okay. but they didn't get her, and yeah. so they went with Vivian Blaine. For Sarah Brown, they really wanted Grace Kelly, and when they didn't get her, they wanted Deborah Kerr, who had, who was um, who we'd know from The King and I, yeah. and like an affair to remember. Um, but both were unavailable, so they went with Gene Simmons, yep. who had done another film with Marlon Brando. I can't remember the name of it off my head. Yeah. But, yeah, Gene Simmons was actually perfect as Sergeant Sarah Brown. Yeah. Like, just perfect. Um, any Aussies out there would know Gene Simmons as the mother in Thornbirds. <laughs> A very obscure reference. That is obscure. <laughs> and we're not talking about Gene Simmons from Kiss. That's a different person altogether. <laughs> so because Marlon Brando couldn't sing, one of the most popular songs from the stage production, which was I've Never Been In Love Before, it's like the big love duet, yeah. was cut from the movie. And Sinatra was given another song. Um, Frank Lesser wrote the song Adelaide, um, which isn't in the stage show. Mm. It's actually a really nice song. Adelaide. Is it? Yeah. As well as this, one of the best numbers by Miss Adelaide, in my opinion, Bushelina Peck, was cut yeah. and replaced with this random song called Pet Me Popper. That's right. And like why? Bushelina Peck is such a good, such, it's such, such a, a clever, song. funny song. So weird. Um, so yeah, Pet Me Popper, far inferior, but like whatever Hollywood, wh- fucking idiots. Yeah. They also removed the songs Marry the Man Today, which I think was which a mistake. Which you love. I yeah. love it. More I Cannot Wish You, which mm. was a song sung by um, Sarah Brown's uncle. Yeah. And My Time of Day, which I think is a beautiful song that Sky sings after yeah. they come back from Havana. Anyway, the film still did fine. It won the Best Musical Comedy Golden Globe and Gene Simmons won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. Yeah. So, like, that's good, right? Perfectly successful. Sure. It did well. And I love it. Yeah. I actually love um, Frank Sinatra as Nathan Detroit. Yeah. I really do. But I'd lo- I'll, I'll tell you, um, oh, where's that? There's a, there's a review. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, no, it's one of my fun facts. I'm going to save it for the fun fact. Okay. Okay, okay. So heaps more productions. There, was a, there were Broadway revivals in 1955, 1965, 1966, and then the very notable 1976 All Black yeah. production. So this all-black production opened on July 11th. It featured Motown-style musical arrangements of the songs. Yeah. In fact, I love this version. Like if you listen to Fugue for Tin Horns, for example, which is the opening number after um, Runyon Land, it's got like such a Motown flavour. It's Is there a cast recording available? It is. It's available on YouTube. Amazing. I will link to it in the yeah. show notes because it's really, really good. Yeah, so good. So um, – the sh- this production was directed and choreographed by Billy Wilson. It closed in 1977 after 12 previews and 239 performances. Yeah. There is a cast recording of the production, like I mentioned, but it's not on Spotify, Shock yeah. Horror. So I've linked to the YouTube channel. It's just wonderful. Go yeah. check it out. It's so good. Uh, actually, the Motown, like, vibe to it is really cool. Yeah. yeah really cool. Um. Interestingly, Laurence Olivier wanted to play Nathan Detroit <laughs> after he saw Sam Levine in it. So he like sort of spearheaded uh, West End Revival. Yeah. So rehearsals began for the 1971 West End Revival, but he had to pull out due to poor health and the revival got canned because uh. of that, which is a shame. But anyway, don't worry. There was a 1982 West End Revival, then a notable 1992 Broadway Revival that ran for 1,143 performances, which is almost as many as the original. 
Is that the Faith Prince and that's the one? Okay, Nathan Lane. Yeah, yeah. So this production starred Nathan Lane as Nathan Detroit, Faith Prince as Adelaide, Peter Gallagher as Sky. So oh. Peter Gallagher is the dad from the OC. Yeah. Well, he is like a a classic a Broadway. Yeah. Before that's he was right. before he was on TV. Yes. He and did a lot he's of. He's great as Sky. He's also. Um, you know, I've, I might have mentioned before, but there's that Funny Girl concert, like the Actors oh, yes, Fun yes, concert. yes, yes, I love that one. Where like a different woman plays Place, yeah. um, Fanny Bryce every song. Yeah. But he's the love interest the whole time. Nice. Yeah. Mr. Einstein. Yes, that's it. Yeah, lovely. He's great. He's really, he's in um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Oh, right. Yeah. He's Which really I still haven't good. watched. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, Peter Gallagher played Sky and Josie de Guzman plays Sarah. And as we've mentioned before, J.K. Simmons is in that production. He yes. plays Benny Southstreet. Yeah. And he, like, he is so good. Yeah. He's a proper musical theatre performer. Yeah. So I listened to him on maybe Mark Maron's podcast yes, you a mentioned few weeks that. ago. Yes. Yeah. He's and, great. Um, yeah, he really didn't get his break until he was quite a bit older. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny listening to him in Guys and Dolls and then knowing that a lot of his characters that he plays are like, cops and you know sort of like hardened yeah but he was in this like really cheesy american musical yeah it's just fascinating yeah um anyway frank rich the very famous uh reviewer gave this production like a rave review yeah just like he thought it was outstanding this um, revival it received eight tony nominations and it won four it won best revival best actress for faith prince Best Direction and Best Scenic Design. Yeah. Um, so it did really well. This production also was really the like the launch pad of Nathan Lane's career. Mm. He, um, yeah, it was his first like award nomination. It was his first major role and off right. he went. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was quite young. Yeah. It just, I feel like he's one of those people that has always looked forever. about the same age oh, as so well, true. you know. Yeah. Like, so true. Yeah. Um, well, actually, there is this really awesome documentary on, it's currently on YouTube that um, it's basically it's like a one hour documentary of the recording of the cast yeah, album. Yeah, it's like on the record or something they used to yes, call that exactly. show, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. It is Guys and Dolls on the record, yeah. and it's really fascinating. You for those millennials like us, when I say nineteen ninety two, you'll be like, oh yeah, like nineteen ninety two, it's not that long ago. And then you watch a documentary <laughs> that is from nineteen ninety two, and you are like, that's right, those sweaters, look yeah. at these glasses, <laughs> like what is what are those haircuts? And, yeah, and Nathan Lane looks very young. Yeah. He has so much hair. Yeah. Anyway, I'll link to that documentary because it's definitely worth watching, even just for Faith Prince doing just amazing stuff. Yeah. She is so good. She's incredible. She's incredible. And she's no relation to Hal Prince, by the way. No. Um, But she is, like, she is Miss Adelaide. Yeah. In a way that I don't know if Vivian Blaine is, even considering. No, I, I feel like she's like the quintessential she Miss Adelaide. She is. Yeah. She really, she's so good. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we're still on Productions Dudes. Since then, there has been another West End revival in 1996, a 2005 West End revival, a 2009 Broadway revival, a 2015 West End revival, a 2017 All Black West End revival, which was um, actually this 2017 All Black West End revival notably changed the setting from Midtown to Harlem. And apparently it was like groundbreaking like yeah. reviewers were like oh my god that it's so clever like yeah. it's such a simple change <laughs> yeah. and just made all the difference um that most recent broadway revival 2009 did you say mm-hmm. um that didn't do very well did it no and i'm going to talk about the cast in a second because yeah, yeah 
But no, it didn't do well and it didn't last for very long. But just the sheer number yeah, it's a of lot. productions, it's just in a both, lot. In both in London both and New York London as well. York, that's right. Yeah. And it's it's really popularly done by amateur societies as yeah. well. Yeah, well, that makes sense. It's got a big, a big ensemble cast. Yeah. Like there are lots of, even though I've only mentioned the four main characters and General Cartwright being the most main, <laughs> of course, um, there are lots of minor characters, like just heaps. Yeah. And there's like a group of dancers and there's lots of singing, ensemble singing like it's a really it's a really ensemble show yeah so you get why it's popular but yeah guys it's pretty universally loved by critics as well i think it's actually because it's like a quintessential american comedy that's mm. why i think it's so loved it's also this sort of time gone by and it's definitely even though the subject matter is about gambling and illegal stuff and and men who are maybe reprobates it is that sort of like heartwarming story of well a bad man can be you know redeemed yeah, and, yeah. and love conquers all yeah. and people are engaged for 14 years and also that thing of like there's married. like two romantic leads two character leads like yeah. it's very like it's very formulaic or, or, exactly yeah. but in a like a, in a very satisfying, classic way. way yeah but also like it is quite clever yeah like it's got clever moments and each of those four characters have arcs yeah like none of them are just ciphers they all have like a really interesting development to yeah. their character i think so um that's why i think it's really still so um enduring uh so some notable cast members throughout the years apart from the major stars of the golden age that i've already mentioned some include in that 2009 broadway revival oliver platt played oh, nathan yes. detroit that's right yeah so you would know oliver platt from uh the west wing <laughs> <laughs> Plus, like Lake Placid, and he was in Fargo, and he's yeah. been he's been in heaps of you stuff. You know his face. He's you would everything. know his face. Also, Lauren Graham played yes, Miss I did Adelaide. Know that, yeah. So she is uh, Lorelai from the Gilmore Girls, and Titus Burgess played nicely, nicely Johnson. Yeah, yeah. That revival did not do well. No. Yeah, interesting. I do. I don't know. I why. think so. I can't remember if you'll probably talk about this, but there was an Australian production. Yes. Yeah, which I am about to mention. Yeah, talk about that and then I'll... Well, I'm just going to mention that Magda Zabanski played Nicely Nicely Johnson in the 2008 Melbourne production. Yeah. So it was the year before. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was the same... For some reason I was thinking it was the same production because I saw that Guys and Dolls um, and I just remember being like, why would you take... Like that 1992 production, the thing that was so yes. great about it was the way that they just like filled it with colour and light yes. and it was so vital. fun. That's right. And yeah. vital and vibrant. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the opposite of that, this production. That's what I've heard. That yeah. It was so dour. Around that time. So around the 2008 Australian production and the 2009 Broadway revival, there was also like a big shift in like a um, minimalized, minimalized, yeah. Minimalism became quite popular yeah. in theatre and I think they tried to do that with Guys and Dolls and it's just not the show no. to be minimal with. Like, and like all the colours were muted yeah. and there was all this stuff and it was just like that's not how this show works. No. The show works if it's bright and vibrant yeah. and it's fun and, and quick, funny. fast paced. It's got to be fast. And in your face. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So it's interesting. It's this, um, there was a 2005 West End revival, so around the same time that starred Ewan McGregor as Sky. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I love Ewan McGregor. I, I know. I know you know this. I'm telling the listeners he is like top of my whole pass list. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> Do you know Shane's met him? Yeah, I think you've told me that before. Jealous. And he's a huge dick. Oh, no. Yeah, like he's a Why proper douchebag. Why would you tell me that bag. on the microphone? Well, because you need to know. They need to know. 
Um, in that same production, Jenna Krakowski played Adelaide. Jane Krakowski? You, Jenna, Jenna from oh, 30 Jenna. Rock? I call her Jenna. <laughs> so her name's Jane Krakowski. Yeah. She plays Jenna in 30 Rock, so I will call her Jenna Krakowski. <laughs> yeah, Jane Krakowski. She would be a great Adelaide. Wouldn't she be perfect? Yeah. I love her so much. I saw her in She Loves Me. She'd be great in that. So good. Yeah, awesome. So she made her Broadway debut at 17 in the original cast of Starlight Express. That's right. She's so awesome. She's very good. I just, yeah, I really love her. Anyway, so that's an interesting. I don't know much about that revival though. No. I'll I'll tell you what I do remember is at the Tony Awards, they did sit down, you're rocking the boat. I'm pretty sure it was. And Titus went to sing and his mic, like his body mic wasn't working. So they had to like run out and give him a handheld. That's awful. Isn't that? Like, could you imagine the stress of that? Yes, I can. Shit. (sighs) Okay. Do you want to hear some fun facts? Yes. Okay. Around the time of the film's release, American composer and all-round god, Stephen Sondheim, was writing film reviews for Films in Review. Sondheim, he was then 25, reviewed the film version of Guys and Dolls and he wrote, quote, Sinatra ambles through his role as Nathan Detroit as though he were about to laugh at the jokes in the script. He has none of the sob in his voice and the incipient ulcer in the stomach that the part requires and Sam Levine supplied so hilariously on the stage. Sinatra sings on pitch but colourlessly. Careless and left-handed attempt at characterization not only harm the picture immeasurably but indicate an alarming lack of professionalism. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine if Sondheim said something like that about you? Yeah. I mean, I don't think Sinatra would give a fuck. No. About some 25-year-old upstart. Yeah, who was not famous yet. But fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Scathing. I love it. That is my energy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So some other fun facts. 20th Century Fox acquired the film rights. I can't talk today. Acquired the film rights to the musical in early 2013 and they were planning a remake and then it went into production hell. But then in March 2019, TriStar Pictures acquired the remake rights. Okay. So we're still waiting to hear a bit about that. Right. I love a film remake. Yeah. Love that. Um, okay. Another fun fact, Guys and Dolls, the film, never actually got a proper soundtrack album. Oh. So there's a bit of like just a bit of – um, tea to spill Sinatra at the time was under contract to Capital and they Capital wanted that soundtrack for their label um, but MGM was releasing the film so they wanted to release the soundtrack mm. um, Decca had recording rights at the time <laughs> so there are like three major yeah three major companies like really involved and Decca actually recorded the cast album and then they wanted to like release it in the end, Decca did like a 45 RPM extended play record of four songs just mm. by Marlon Brando and Gene Simmons. Um, they also put out an EP of Sammy Davis Jr. singing four of like Sinatra's songs. But Sinatra never even actually recorded any right. of his songs in studio because Capital wouldn't let him. Right. So like even on – he did his own like reprise album of some of the songs from the show he didn't. He didn't record the song Adelaide. Okay. Ever? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, You can, there are rips of it from the film though, so don't worry. You can listen. Okay, my next fun fact it's time to talk about the Simpsons episode. Yes. Okay, there's an episode of The Simpsons titled Mayor to the Mob. I love this episode. It is from, 
It's from episode nine of season 10 and it aired in 1998. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that Guys and Dolls doesn't really go like what you think it does. If your only frame of reference right now is the Simpsons episode, that is not how it goes. No. Um, you know what I'm talking about. So this episode features Mark Hamill as himself and in the episode the mobster Fat Tony who is voiced by Joe um, Mantegna of Baby's Day Out fame. Oh, yeah. One of the best films ever. Um, Fat Tony's trying to kill Mayor Quimby. So funny. The drama culminates during a production of Guys and Dolls where Mark Hamill is playing Nathan Detroit uh, and the very excellent song Luke Be a Jedi Tonight is featured as well as an excellent reference to Rent being a piece of crap. So I've linked to just a like a part of the episode um, on our show notes because it's hilarious and yeah Homer talks about like how crap rent is does he yeah he does i have no memory of that it's bit. hilarious it's so funny and they do yeah guns and dolls yeah i remember all the songs yeah it's very funny it's very very funny i rewatched that whole episode actually yeah. in preparation for this very good okay so some gateway songs after much consideration yes your gateway songs need to be fugue for tin horns yeah which apart from the instrumental um runyon land is the opening number yep. Uh, also, Sue Me, I think, yeah. which is the duet between Nathan and Adelaide. It really shows like a really good glimpse into their characters and the dynamic there. Yeah. And also, Sit Down, You Rock on the Boat. Yeah, such a great song. It's just a banger. I think I've linked to all of the 1992 Broadway revival, yep. but I've also chucked in just as a special bonus, I've put the film rip of Adelaide, of Sinatra singing the song okay. Adelaide because it's a really lovely song. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I know... Luck Be A Lady is one of the songs from this show, but I don't think it's a gateway song. Mm. I think there's too much. I think too many people know the song in the frame of their minds as something else and I don't think it will help you get into the music. Yeah, interesting. I think it's one that when you watch Guys and Dolls and they start it, because it's in it's in Act 2, when they start singing it, you'll be like, is this song from Guys and Dolls? Yeah. Like, but I don't think it's a gateway. Because um, Frank Sinatra's recording of that is very famous, right? Yeah, but he like he does it really slow. You know, it's like yeah. luck be a lady. Yeah. But and of course he recorded it. He didn't play that character in no. the show. Like he didn't get to sing it in the film. Yeah. But in the musical, it's this really fast luck be a lady. Yeah, that's tonight. right. Yeah, but no, don't listen to that as your gateway if you don't know Guys and Dolls. Yeah. The Fugue for Tin Horns um, version in the from the nineteen seventy six All Black. Uh, production is really good. Yeah. Like it's got this I'm really cool vibe. Listen. I didn't know there was a cast recording oh, in that production. It's so good. Yeah. I really, in fact, the woman who plays Sarah Brown has the most beautiful voice because mm. normally I'm not a fan of any Sarah Browns. Not because <laughs> I've played her. I wasn't a fan of me in that Are role Are you either. sure, Josephine? I just find that maybe it's the way the role is written that it's just a bit grating. Okay. Like she's, yeah, she's a do-gooder and she's annoying, but also like her notes are just too high sometimes or mm. it's just a bit like. Ugh. It is. It's like proper soprano, she's right? She's a proper soprano, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's Guys and Dolls. Excellent. Do you have any thoughts? I just, I miss that show. Isn't it good? Yeah, it was a great show. Do you know what's weird show. is that we were kids doing that show? Yeah. It's not a very child-friendly show. It's not. It was back, um, so, you know, Josephine and I were involved in this sort of youth um, musical theatre group and back then that was what the youth, did like we it was like it was like kids doing shows basically yeah. they weren't necessarily shows targeted at children 
um, or written for children. It was just kids doing shows and um, that's not how it works anymore there, um, which is a shame because I would love to see, you know, know. some adult shows just done by children. It's such a great idea. I get it, but I just – it was – what what I always talk about is that it really forced us to like we had to learn proper harmonies. Yes. We had to, you know, like look at like know what was going on in the world yes. at that time. Like it, absolutely, it was a good education for us. I think good theatrical education. Do you know um, my brother? I, th- I can't remember if it's my brother or my brother in law because they both had to come and see it. Obviously, because my brother in law, who's been with my sister for a long time, he was in the audience. It's one of their. It's still one of their favorite things I've ever done. Well, like you were, I mean, I wouldn't actually necessarily say this now, but you, at that age, you were the perfect Sarah Brown. Oh, totally. Like I was Sarah Brown. Even like you, I would say like you were more of a soprano then than you are now. Like things like that. Like vocally now, I'm like, I was like, I'd rather see you in other things, but yeah. yeah. But also they like, and they see me in very like, very slick productions, but they think that was the best production yeah, that I've ever been funny? involved in. But also because, like, it was really fun. Yeah. It's just a fun show. And um, I guess another fun fact for everyone is that we actually did it for a year. Yes, we did it because, for a year. We had a return um, it was season. Like, so there was always, like, two shows a year that this youth theatre company did. And my understanding is, like, so there was, like, a July show and a January show. We did it as the July show. So you yeah. rehearsed for, like, five months. Yeah, it's a really long for period. For a one-week season. <laughs> and then they just, like, didn't have a show yet for the January shows so like we'll do a re- we'll do it again like yeah. a return season yeah and so we did it as the january show as well so it was a year a we year did of that, that. Show. i keep forgetting that that's probably why it was so important to me that yeah we were doing that for a whole year it was a whole year i loved yeah. playing that character yeah. yeah well yeah you were fantastic thank you i thought you were the perfect general <laughs> <Cartwright. laughs> oh my god so funny i do remember do you remember i had like a bouffant like my hair was which we've talked about on yeah, this podcast i think i posted that picture enormous. Of it was enormous yeah it was great I had to sleep in rollers for that show. Yeah. And I have curly hair already. Yeah. What the hell? You had great curls though for that show. I did. Yeah. Proper like depression era curls. Yeah, exactly. I was hot for that show, man. Yeah. It was great. Very buttoned up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do you want to talk about a musical? I do. My musical for this week. Ready? I I think I tried to make the claim to you during the week that it was going to be the most obscure show we've ever done. And you're like, nothing will beat Evening Primrose. I think nothing will. Okay. The show that I'm doing is called Striking 12. Yes. So you've heard of it. You yes, know I it. Yes, I have. I know it. Um, but I think most people listening will not know this show. And you think they might know Evening Primrose? <laughs> well, at least Evening Primrose was on television. <laughs> you know what I mean? Once. Like, like, yeah, like once. One night. It's also by Sondheim though. Yeah. So like. Guys, come tell us. <laughs> Tell us what is true The funny here. thing I've realised is that the last three weeks, and I don't know if this was just the order that I, like, wrote. My chair is so squeaky. The list, You won't be able to hear it on the mic, though. Um, Are you <laughs> sure? Yeah, definitely. Guys, can you hear it? <laughs> Guys, just tell us. Tell Did us you hear now. the squeaky can mic? Can you hear this? Squeaky mic, squeaky chair. <laughs> um, like, the last few weeks, all the shows have been from the same period of time. Like, oh. my last three shows are yes, all from, like, 2005, 2006, Yeah, they've been right? quite modern, yeah. And I think it's – well, but also, like, that's such a specific – era yes. of like like dis- nerdiness of yeah Ruth, Ruth and, and like discovering shows and even though I know a lot more shows now than I ever did then but I those think ones will always be important that's right so anyway so like I literally have no idea how I came upon this show I don't know because I was thinking about this yeah and I think our friend Zach introduced me to it when we were at uni together okay like I think he was like you must 
listen to this. Yeah, like I'm guessing it was just one of those things where we would all burn CDs of our entire collections of yes. musical theatre for our friends yes. so that we all kind of collectively owned all these different random recordings. And then like you'd become friends with someone else and they would burn this for you yes. and then this person would burn theirs. Yes. And we used to have those CD wallets that would have like – you would be able to fit four CDs on a yes. page. Yeah. So your big the wallet would be like bigger than two pieces of paper yeah. and fucking thick, yes. man. Yes. And that was like your most prized possession. Absolutely. Oh and it would God. just be like scribbled on it, what just it was, like with tape, permanent yeah, marker. Burning. Yeah. Um, anyway, like right from the beginning I was obsessed with this show, mm. like right from first listening to it. It's so unique in its storytelling and sort of pushing the boundaries of what we consider to be musical theatre. Um, kind of in the same way that like title of show does or a show like that in a different way but similarly unique, right? Definitely. So striking 12. So music and lyrics by Valerie Vigoda and Brendan Milburn and book by Rachel Schenken. So Rachel Schenken, and I didn't even know this That's until That's a cool I, name. Yeah. I didn't even know this until I researched this. Like she's the book writer of Spelling Bee, of 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Yeah. You mentioned her in the episode. Yeah. And like I don't think I ever realised that anyone else was involved in this that wasn't the band kind oh. of thing. Like I didn't know there was another book writer. Yes. Um, and – she oh, was obviously like also one of the creators of Spelling Bee. Like she was the one who was originally Wasn't she playing. Shafted? She was the one who was playing Olive and then yeah. like, yeah, it was they like not her. quite a good enough singer to yeah. be in the role. Um, so it is performed originally by the band Groove Lily, which was Valerie and Brendan, who I mentioned, who wrote it, and Jean Lewin. And they were a band like since 1994. So hmm. like a long time touring, releasing like kind of indie rock music. But – and like a proper like on the road touring band, right? Yeah. But always kind of like trying to get signed to a label, being told that they were a bit too like theatrical, like mm. never quite making it, never being able to be signed. And then because they were New York based, um, they knew theatre people and stuff like that. And um, Brendan, I think, studied at NYU, like has a BFA in like musical theatre, songwriting sort of yeah, thing right. from NYU. Um so they definitely had that background. Yeah, like like, like sort of, you mm. know, like kind of like dipping their toes in the theatre world, if you will. Um, yes, and I they, will. Yes, I will. <laughs> um, but they basically like Rachel Schenken sort of half came up with the idea of just like, hey, I think it would be cool to do something that's like a bit theatrical, a bit music, mm. and came up with this idea of like the little match girl. So the original Did you ever production, read that book when you were a kid? Like, yes. Like, Isn't it fucking awful? It's an awful book. <laughs> It's an awful story. Awful. It is. And like, what's the message? Yeah, what is the message? There's not really Don't a message. Don't be poor. Yeah, is that, that the that message? That is the message. You'll well, die. Well, I think a lot of people think that it's poor people are okay because they're going to go to heaven when they die. What? I actually think that's the message. So fucked. So the original production of Striking 12 was the members of Groove Lily. So like those three musicians. It's such and a they good name p- for a band. Groove Lily, I know. <laughs> such a great name. So they play, like Valerie plays electric violin. Brendan plays keyboards and Jean plays drums, right? And the actual show, so like in talking about a synopsis, the actual show is really in three layers. So you have a concert by three musicians that you're going to see. Yes. You have a a modern story about 
a grumpy guy who's recently split from his fiance who decides to stay home on New Year's Eve. So it's set on New Year's Eve when a woman comes by and she's spelling, sell, spelling, selling full spectrum holiday lights. So those are basically like vitamin D lamps to help with seasonal affective disorder or sad as it is also known. Is that what Pete Evans said would cure COVID? Pro- probably. No, those, those are legit though. Vitamin D lamps. Yeah. I was being funny. I was going to say, but I was going to say because no, like they, people need them. people I know in the UK have you them. need those lamps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's then inspired by that encounter to read Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Match Girl. And then we start to it's switch. It's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. We start to switch between that present day story and like a retelling of The Little Match Girl, basically. So it's in three layers, hmm. right? Um, and... Yeah, and so it was originally produced in 2002 at the Prince Music Theatre in Philadelphia. Um, it's then done at the Old Globe Theatre in San Diego in 2003. We're talking like short runs of each of these. Theatre Works in Palo Alto and Symphony Space New York in 2004. That um, small run in New York is where the live cast recording was recorded. So like oh, nice. what you can listen to was recorded in 2004. Um I didn't realise it was so old. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. There's then a run off off Broadway at Ars Nova, which um, in 2005 we've talked about Ars Nova in terms of like Great Comet and a few other shows um, before premiering off Broadway at the Daryl Roth Theatre in November 2006 for a six-week run which finished on New Year's Eve, which is when the show set. Yeah, nice. That was like their final day. That's cute. Um, And then like. Basically all the seasons they did from 2002 to that off-Broadway run in 2006 were always done in like November, December because it's sort of seen as a a holiday show, right? Um, And in fact, in the years like since their off-Broadway run, they've performed it in several small concert runs um, through to as late as like 2013 Mm. when they did it at 54 Below, always around the holiday season. So often like around Christmas like or on New Year's itself, like they would do it on New Year's sort of thing. Um, And because like they were a band. So other than that, they were just like touring as a band and then they would come back and do this show. Um, There are two versions of the show. Oh, and sorry, I should mention that the off-Broadway run got a Lucille Lortel award nomination for Best Musical. That's like one of the awards that gets given. That's like a specific off-Broadway. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's quite good. Who is Lucille Lortel? I think she was a famous actress. I'm going to find out. Yeah. Um, So there are two versions of the show that can be licensed. There's the original band show for three musicians slash actors who need to play electric violin, keyboards and drums. So I've, I've said this to Josephine before, but we have a friend um, who plays violin and could play electric violin and is a great singer. She could do that. Yes. Her name's Amy her. V. She's incredibly talented. Your husband. My husband could play keyboards and sing. We need to find a drummer who can sing. <laughs> Guys, this is the issue. Help. If you know someone on the New South Wales Central Coast who's a drummer who can <laughs> sing, send them to us. Um, so it can be done with those three performers um, or it can be done as a cast of eight to 12 actors and a band of six Ooh. with variations in sort of the company and band size where there's like narrators and things like I this. I like that. Well, More yes. accessible. Yeah. So it was actually done – uh, finally in London in late 2018 at the Union Theatre, which is an off-West End theatre, um, they did the expanded cast version. Yeah. Um, it didn't get great reviews and, like, I have to say my feeling is that although the expanded cast version could work for a community theatre production, 
there's definitely something so much more impressive about it being done as a three-person band yeah, production. Of so I feel like for a professional run, that's the version you want But surely you'd do. be able to find the people. If it's a professional run, you'd be right? able to find them. I know. Like I just think I get why they've licensed that expanded version for like community theatre and schools and stuff to do. But just for a professional run, I just don't think it stacks up, to be honest. Can I just tell you this? Lucille Lortel was an American actress, artistic director and theatrical producer. She was born in 1900. In the course of her career, Lortel produced or co-produced nearly 500 plays. Oh, I have heard of her. Okay, yeah. She's like a badass producer yeah at a time when like in 90 she died when she in 1999 wow but she like she lived till she was 99 whoa love carry on um so valerie vagoda who so groove lily was originally called the valerie vagoda band like she put it together she's the front woman of the band like it's it's kind of all about her right um so she was actually admitted to princeton the college princeton at the age of 15 Oh, shut yeah. up. Like she's like crazy smart. Wow. And she joined the army reserves to pay for college like while she was there. Like she's just had a really interesting life. Wow. Um, the set designer of the off-Broadway run was David Corrins of Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen fame. Like this is obviously like much earlier in his career. Yeah, nice, nice. I loved that. Um, the director of Striking 12 um, is a guy by the name of Ted Sperling and he has directed it like right – he directed it right from 2002 at the Prince Music Theatre in Philadelphia where he was the associate artistic director. Yeah. Now, he's a Tony winner mm. but not as a director. So he's mostly known as like a musical director, arranger and orchestrator. Oh, cool. And he won a Tony for Best Orchestrations in 2005 for The Light and the Piazza. Yeah. And wow. He's done- Imagine – that's quite a diverse range of talents. Right? And he's done like he's done like a lot of the more recent, like he did the last Fiddler revival that was on Broadway. Yeah. He did the South Pacific, like mm. a lot of these like golden age like revivals. Yeah. He does a lot of the orchestrations for those. That's cool. Which is like a very kind of, I think, like niche thing, but like very those niche. orchestrations are glorious. So wow. yeah. Um he also appeared on stage on Broadway in nineteen ninety seven in the um original cast of Titanic. Because there's like a band leader in the cast yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So he was like an actor as well in that. Um I just love that. I love that like it's like, yeah, he's also a director, you know? Like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so doing striking twelve has led to quite a bit of um, work writing for theatre for Valerie and Brendan. Um, they've since written several shows for Groove Lily and themselves to perform in, but have also worked with Disney quite a bit. Mm. Um, and in fact, like I was listening to this interview with um, Val where she was talking about how, um, because they did Striking 12 as part of the, um, it's NAMT, I think it's, oh, now I'm going to forget, but it's National Something at Music Theatre. Yes. And it's like, I think they do like, six shows a year or something they get performed and like lots of backers and stuff come to watch it. Like lots of really important people come to watch it That's cool. um, every year. And they did it as part of that. And there was all these Disney bigwigs there and they really created quite a splash. And yeah. And so like from doing striking 12, they've gotten a lot of other sort of songwriting work. Um, so they wrote, um, they worked with Disney to write Toy Story the Musical, which was performed on the Disney Cruise Lines ship, the Disney Wonder, from 2008 to 2016. Um, and the book of that show was written by Mindy Dickstein, who wrote the lyrics for Little Women. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the Mindy Full Dickstein. Full circle. Indeed. Um, <laughs> and they've also written several songs for the Disney Tinkerbell franchise. Oh, nice. Yeah, like lots of, there's lots of Tinkerbell films, apparently. Right. Um, 
A key part of Groove Lily and Brendan and Valerie's like songwriting relationship was the fact that they were also a married couple. Um, sadly, they're not married anymore. Um, maybe not sadly. Maybe that's good. Yeah, true. That's very true. Mm. But it does mean that we won't be seeing any more collaboration from them as a collaboration. Yes. Um, so I feel like Striking 12 and Groove Lily kind of led the big trend of the actor-musician. Yeah. Which became a big thing in theatre around their time. So, like, once Company and Sweeney Todd, like those John Doyle productions of Company and Sweeney Todd, are all in the following six or so years um, after this. Like, I don't know if you agree. Like, I feel like that was kind Definitely. of a bit of a trend that was Definitely. started. Yeah. Um, I want to know what you think of New Year's Eve. As, like, an event? Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't believe in it. <laughs> you don't believe in it? No. I really don't believe in the idea of... Um, like new beginnings or whatever yeah, bullshit. Yeah, like when like, people... You know how like this whole time everyone's been like, 2020 is a dumpster fire. Don't get me wrong. 2020 is a dumpster fire. It's got nothing to do with the calendar year of 2020. No, like. that's right. Yeah. But also like COVID-19 started in 2019. Yeah, so right. like even if that's your problem, maybe yeah, shut up. Exactly. I, don't know. I think it's all bullshit. It's just excuses to like write off yeah. three months or whatever. I do think that there can be... A a bit of a feeling of like a new start when it's the first of the year, like some people, but I think it's all in our heads. A new start. You just reminded me of Arrested Development, you know, when Tobias um, writes a new start on his car, but he can't get all the words in. So he writes A-N-U-S-T-A-R-T. That's right. Anus tart. Anus tart. Yeah. Um, I actually spent New Year's Eve in New York City in 2015. Nice. Um, Was it busy? Yes, and it cost a fortune, but we paid to see the ball. Like we were in a restaurant next drop. to Times Square and Shit. see the ball drop at midnight. My husband's done that, but he was like in the crowd he on did the it, ground. Right? You're yeah. not allowed to leave, so you can't go That's to the toilet. Right. You can't eat. Like He didn't know that. He almost like got – I think he just sort of got swept away in it and was suddenly there. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, shit, like yeah. I'm here now. And like I remember we had to show um, like police – proof that we were going to something in this like oh, huge like a, radius right? because obviously like they literally locked down the midtown city. yeah it's such a weird thing like so it's, we were in LA um for new years in 2016 and we we decided because we'd had a really we were shooting a feature film and we had had a really hard day of shooting yeah so we decided that um we would have a really early dinner like in venice beach and then go back to our really shitty um airbnb in like north hollywood and we watched the ball drop and we pretended that it was midnight and we went to bed yeah because nice. also like nothing happens in la for new year's yeah so <laughs> new year's has always Amazing. been a fizzer for me yeah yeah like i don't think much of it to no, be honest but no. also like i don't drink so like it's not yeah. even like I can get wasted and And like party. that's such a positive thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> You're really missing out, Ruth. So unfortunately, it pains me to say, but the cast recording is not on Spotify. What? I know. A cast recording is not on Spotify? All of Groove Lily's recordings are on Bandcamp. <laughs> yeah. And so I am going to link to the recording on Bandcamp. There's also, um, which I bet I'm surprising Josephine saying this, but there's four bonus tracks on the Bandcamp recording. Bonus tracks. Um, which is like they do a different version of the Overture that they do now. That's And cool. like a few different other things. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, exactly. Like I was like, <laughs> you are want to go listen yes, yeah yes um i also do want to quickly mention that val and brendan also wrote a show called ernest shackleton loves me mm. which is available to watch on broadway hd 
um, and the album is on Spotify. So that was an off-Broadway show, I think, in 2018. And it was one of the last things they collaborated on before, um, they, before they split. Yeah. yeah. So I'm linking to that Spotify album. And if you have Broadway HD, watch it because it's a pro shot musical, which is always, Ooh, nice. you know, a, a wonderful thing to watch. And Val is in it. Um, so it's a two-hander and it's basically about this woman who um, is like it's set in modern day and she's on like a dating website and like Ernest Shackleton, the like intrepid explorer. Yeah, like didn't he – wasn't it like Antarctica or I something? I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, um, like comes in through her fridge. Like he starts – she starts chatting to him and he comes in through her fridge and like it's about them kind of. Hilarious. Yeah, like that's the concept of the show. Great, great concept. Um, So some gateway songs. So um, I've gone with uh, – snow song in brackets it's coming down nice um a song called last day of the year uh which is at the beginning when they're sort of talking about it's you know the end of the year whatever snow song is towards the end Mm -hmm. um it's really hard to sort of describe these songs because they're kind of just like great yeah pop songs almost like just listen and you'll figure it out folky rock songs and then caution to the wind um is a song. So as I mentioned, like Val's playing electric violin and she's also like belting the fuck out of this song yeah. at the same time. I would almost say it's like an early, not quite the same sort of style, but similar in style to Hades Town. Like an yeah. early sort of well, like. Well, because they, they, my understanding is that Groove Lily used to sort of try and tour as like a rock band and then they sort of moved more into like folk, folk. circles. Yeah. And I would call it that. It Definitely. is quite folky. It's just like modern folk. Yeah. Yep. But it's like so unique in its sound. Totally. And they like YouTube what you can, definitely try and listen to the cast recording if you can. And we will link to the bank. If you Google Bandcamp Striking 12, you know, um, I'm fine. sure you'll come across it as well. But, yeah, that's Striking 12. It's a great show. I hope you listen to it. That's a really good one. Thank you. I actually sort of forgot about it. Did you? Yeah, I think so. I've always loved this show. I just love it. I, I know I loved it, like, when our friend Zach introduced me to it. But I think it's been one of those ones that, like, yeah, Striking 12. It's also a really great show. Like, like listen to it all the way through, really, definitely. honestly. Like, it's because you kind of have to get introduced to the fact that it's a band telling yes. you a story yes, and not just a normal cast recording. Yeah, it, it's so much more than just like a musical. Yeah. It's quite groundbreaking. Yeah. yeah. Like it's basically, as we said, like a concert. Yeah. But they're also telling you a story yeah. and the storytelling is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree. That's Striking 12. That was a good one. Thank you. Oh, what an interesting little mix of musicals today. Indeed. Indeed. Classic and not. And not very classic. obscure. So yeah. obscure. Maybe yeah. not the most obscure though. <laughs> not as obscure as Evening from Rose? Maybe. <laughs> I'm doing one soon that's also quite obscure. Are you? Oh, yes. Yes, I remember. Um, one of we'll our favourites. One of my favourites. Yeah. Uh, have a good week, everyone. Yes. Um, have a good week, everyone. Join us on Thursday for the mixtape. The mixtape. And... Um, you can email us at myfavoritemusical at gmail.com. Sure, do that if you, you want. You can follow us on Instagram at myfavoritemusical. Yeah, and you can watch our TikTok videos. That's not a thing. No, because I don't gonna know make what it, that I'm means. just going to make Josephine learn Natalie Weiss riffs now. Sure, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it. that. I just don't want to interact with TikTok. <laughs> I don't get it. Okay, I'll do, I'll do it all, don't worry. Thank you. And on That's Twitter, how this podcast works. And on Twitter at myfavemusical. <laughs> Yeah, please get amongst it. Mainly leave a review for us on Apple yes. Podcasts. If you be... haven't done that and you listen to the show, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, if you what did the it. fuck are you doing? I <laughs> know. Don't yell at our beautiful listeners. I'll do what I want. Okay, that's true. She will. I'm not the one here who's drawing fans. <laughs>
I'm the bad cop. She is the bad cop. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Just go write a review, say something nice, be done with it. Thank you. Or else. Yes. <laughs> have a great week, everyone. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.